What is up, everyone? It is your boy, The Tank. It's Wednesday at noon, and I am here to talk to you about college and NFL football for the next hour on Weagle 91.1 FM. Let's not waste any time and get on with the show. Good afternoon, everyone. What is going on? Uh, I have to say it's a beautiful day here on the plains, but I have, I have to rant a little bit about the the state of Alabama. Can can it decide what season it wants to be? It's either fall one day or it's summer the next. And as someone who has seasonal allergies, my sinuses are killing me. I wake up one morning and I'm coughing my lungs out, or I wake up another morning and it's cool and I'm just comfortable all day. It, there's no in between. It's either hot or it's cold. There's I I. Love the state of Alabama, but I needed to pick a season because this is this is ridiculous. But with that, we had a chaotic week of college football this past week, starting off with uh, Tennessee upsetting uh, upsetting Kentucky in what was a 45-42 win for the Volunteers. I hated this game because I was so close to picking Tennessee to win, but with all the injuries that came up uh, in the past few games for the Volunteers, I did not expect them to come out and win as they did. But I guess this shows that Kentucky was kind of a fraud. We they started off six and zero, their first six and zero start since I think Bear was their coach, uh, which would be around nineteen. Not it wasn't Bear or no, it wasn't. But it was around like nineteen fifty something. Uh, but Hendon Hooker had himself a game, threw for three hundred sixteen yards, four touchdowns. He had eleven carries for forty one yards. He had a few turnovers here and again, but. I think that if it wasn't for how he played outside of those fumbles, Tennessee would have definitely have lost this game. Uh, then we also had, I think this was a Wednesday night game, Utah-Stanford. Uh, Utah clobbered Stanford 52-7. to uh, And this brings up the whole college football playoff thing. Why is, the, why is the playoffs rewarding Oregon for losing to Stanford? Stanford only had 167 total yards against Utah which is ridiculous considering the fact that Oregon is still in the CFP's heart, in the committee's heart. They still want to put them in that top three spot. And, I mean, I look at it as – it's group of, it's power five superiority, of course. Like, of course, Oregon is going to be their moneymaker. They really want Oregon in that uh, conversation for the playoff because they think, oh, yeah, if they win the Pac-12, they earned, they've earned a spot. Because, I mean, the Pac-12 right now is no better than group of five. Outside of, like, three or four teams, they're not that good of a conference. And it's like the ACC as well. I mean, the ACC just lost their only contender for a spot in the playoff with Wake Forest since they lost to uh, North Carolina, which it seems Wake Forest has always had a, a, I don't want to say a lower tier talent level than every other team in the ACC. I think they rank near dead last in the ACC in, in regarding like recruiting and talent level, which means stars don't always matter, but they do number-wise. Uh, but Wake Forest, of course, lost fifty-eight to fifty-five, which bring going talking about UNC a little bit brings me up to my dog of the week, which is going to go to Ty Chandler, twenty-two carries, two hundred and thirteen yards, averaged nine point seven yards per carry, and had four touchdowns. And this like is a good flashback to back when he was at in high school at NBA. Where he was known for, where that whole entire offense was known for getting Ty Chandler the ball and letting him just run up the score on folks. But yeah, that I I don't think the Pac-12 or the ACC, even though the ACC just kind of lost their chances, but the, the Pac-12 does not deserve to have 
someone representing them in the playoffs. I think they have definitely will be stealing a spot from maybe an Oklahoma, maybe a Cincinnati, maybe even the, the Big Ten runner-up or the SEC runner-up. I don't think Oregon has earned that right to be the third-ranked team in the nation. Uh, I I have complaints about this in the next segment. Whenever we talk about the playoff commit with the new playoff rankings, I have like a few lists of stuff that I have very very big problems with in this new poll. But to keep it on the games that happened on the Saturday, we have TCU beating Baylor, upset uh for the Horn Frogs. I can't remember the name for a second, but TCU won thirty twenty eight. This is right after they fired or mutually parted ways with Gary Patterson. I thought they were going to let him finish out the year, but I guess not. But they, but Baylor walks in, the 12th-ranked team in the nation. TCU comes out with a freshman quarterback, Chandler Morris, who threw for 461 yards, threw for two touchdowns, ran 11 times for 70 yards, and also ran in for a touchdown. That quarterback looked really good. I don't know if it's just Baylor's defense that didn't look well or the fact that this quarterback could be really good. Uh, and I know TCU hasn't really hired their head coach yet. There is speculation that Deion Sanders would is well has his eyes on the TCU job, which I think would be good for his career. I know how much he loves the HBCUs and he's getting them out there, which is great. But I don't know if he how long he wants to stay there and be like recognized as like a a Power Five coach at some point. But I do think as soon as he leaves, I feel like Shadour and maybe his other son might transfer out of there. Uh, but I mean, Jackson State's actually doing pretty well right now. I would love, I, I can't wait to see how they do throughout the rest of the season. But I think Deion Tanger is someone that will really look forward to expanding his coaching pedigree and moving up as it's like when you play as a way 14, you always pick the small schools first. And then as soon as a big school gives you an offer, you're like, yes, give me that. And it makes it easier for recruiting and all that stuff. I, I think this is a real way for Deion to show how good of a coach he really is. If he goes to like a, a TCU, a team that has not been really all that relevant throughout the past ten years, they've had a few like splurges where they were in the top five, top three, and had arguments for to be in the playoff or in the national championship at some point. But besides those like a few times, they have not really been the team in the Big Twelve. And uh, speaking, uh, well, moving on to Auburn, I, I, I. I've never been that mad. I, I was mad about the Georgia game because I remember saying that I've never been that mad at a game that I knew Auburn was going to lose. I went to this game with such high hopes. I thought, oh, Auburn's on a hot streak. There's no way A&M's defense is as good. They, they didn't prepare for three weeks like they did for Bama. They only got one week. That was one of the worst offensive performances I have ever seen from the Auburn Tigers as since I have started my fandom. That was one of the worst offensive games I've ever seen. And once once people start saying that, all the attention stri- goes strictly to Bo Nix. I know people were blaming him. Everyone wanted to throw Finley in. Not even like to get a spark. Everyone's just was like, oh, yeah, bench him. Like, we just did not have like four games in a row where Bo Nix was playing his best football he's ever played here at Auburn. I think Bo is our quarterback. And is our quarterback, I know I talk about this with, a lot with uh, Harrison Tarr from the TNT in the morning show, that... Bo is definitely the guy for this year and maybe even next year. But, you know, that fifth-year eligibility comes into play. I think Bo is definitely going to be the guy for these for the rest of this year and next year. I think people are kind of overreacting. You see a bad game, and you're like, oh, wait. 
he's a bad quarterback, but then they just ignore the fact that he's been a great quarterback for the past four weeks. They just kind of throw that out the door like he does not just beat an Arkansas team and an Ole Miss team that uh, were practically upsets, really. And see, Bo Nix, 153 yards, 20 for 41, a pick, two fumbles, Q-bar 26.1. It's a bad game for Bo. It is a bad game. I will not discredit anything people have said. It was a bad game. People have a right to be a little upset with how the performance was. But you cannot blame everything on the quarterback. I know it's so easy to blame it. They're the face of the team. They're the captain of the offense. As soon as something doesn't go right with the with the O, it's straight to get the quarterback's head. Go for it. That O line, this was not this was one of the worst blocking games we've had all year. Bo was sacked four times, I believe, and receivers were not getting open. Running backs couldn't get space. It was just an overall bad game for the offense, and no one. And you can get mad at Bo all you want, but if you're going to get mad at Bo, you got to get mad at the whole offense as a whole. Harson has been hammering at home the fact that fans need to chill out with blaming only one player for a loss or for a a bad play or whatever. It's not a 1v11 every play. It is an 11v11. If something goes, if the offense isn't working, it's not because of one person. It's because of the entire uh, lineup on the offense. I mean, I, I've never seen, so Bo has a habit of running out of the pocket and running around. He shouldn't do that. But you have to think about why is he doing that? He's not getting, if he's not getting a block immediately, he's getting rushed. He's going to do that. He's prone to do We've seen him do it on multiple occasions this year. I think he's been doing it since LSU. He did it a lot last year. I remember that. And he did it against LSU and it worked. He did it against Ole Miss and it worked. He did it against Arkansas and it worked. But now we're playing against a real defense. And as soon as he tried it, it didn't work. And it didn't work the entire game. But you had to look, he was not getting any blocks. And, and Auburn, surprisingly, was not the only team that struggled. Five out of the top six teams this past week also struggled. Uh, you know, except for Georgia, who I think at this point everyone's pretty much just agreed that they're going to win the national championship. No one, no one's touching them unless Bama can find a way to step up from how they've been playing. But uh, Cincinnati only won by eight at Tulsa, which I thought would hurt their playoff chances a lot, but it seems like the committee didn't want to move them because I didn't think they would have gotten a lot of backlash if they moved them back any further. Ohio State narrowly beat Nebraska 26-17. to Nebraska has this weird thing where they play very well for like a one game out of every four. It's weird. I thought Oklahoma was just going to walk into uh, Norman and just blow out the Cornhuskers. Not the case. Ohio State is not the typical Ohio State you usually, you're used to seeing. This defense isn't all that great. The offense has times where it doesn't really know how to move the ball. But, yeah, just a, a weird year in college football. Uh, for Oregon, barely beat out uh, Washington, a team that lost to the Montana Grizzlies earlier this year, 26-16. Washington had a chance in this game. Uh, it was 4th and 17 on their own, like, 20-yard line, and they punted. Nothing wrong with that, except the fact there was two minutes left in the game, and when they went to punt, the long snapper snapped the ball over the punter's head, giving them that 10-point lead. They had an eight-point lead. Now they won by ten. Oregon, I, I'm going to say that again. Oregon is not a top-four team, and I hate the committee for trying to ha- push it down our throats that this is a good team. And Michigan State, of course, lost to Purdue. Purdue has a weird thing where they are really good when they are unranked playing as a top-five team. They have beaten 17 top-five teams as an unranked team. 
and I felt the committee just screwed them over by ranking them. And of course, Alabama 20, 20 to 14. I'm going to talk about Bama a little bit after this break coming up soon, but what a very vulnerable looking Bama team this year. I've never, I, I always go into the Iron Bowl and I either know we're going to lose or I have a feeling we're going to win. I've never looked at it. I don't know what to expect from this Iron Bowl. It's either going to be a good game or it's going to be a blowout or it's going to be, I, there's there's no tr- real way of knowing because at any given week now, now this year, we don't know what Alabama team we're going to see or what Auburn team we're going to see that week. We're either going to see Auburn offense just go off or we're going to see it get shut down. We're going to see this Bama deep offense do the same thing. They're going to be able to like throw the ball, or they're going to be able to run the ball. Whenever Bama can't run the ball is whenever they start losing or get or getting these really tight game scenarios. Also, Bama's defense is kind of suspect at times. They're able to stop the run, but when it comes to like stopping the pass, they're not all that well at doing so. But yeah, I I want to. I don't think this this is not your typical Bama team. This is your I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, I, we've never seen Bama playing this, like, mediocre since maybe before Saban or maybe the first year of Saban. Because, I mean, beating a LSU team that we know is not all that good who is just firing their head coach 20-14 to 14, is a terrible win. And I don't know what the committee sees in that and why they think that that is just a good uh, ranking for them. Uh, they and they didn't move anyone back that won these tight games, which is weird because I mean it, it doesn't make any sense. But we'll get more into that after we come back from this break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Tank Talk Football here on Weagle ninety one point one FM. We're gonna continue our talk about Alabama for a little bit before I move on to some more news ish kind of stuff. Uh, but I got some stats. Bama has a second-ranked offense in the SEC. They're second-ranked defense as well, but they're seventh in passing yards allowed per game. Uh, and I have to look at this as if I'm Saban, Pete Golding has got to go. I think he's one of the longest defensive coordinator tenures that Nick Saban has had. I've, he's been there for, what, three years? He's been there since Pruitt left. I think he's got to go if you're Bama. I think he is not as good as people think he or as he thinks he is because Bama brings in so many five stars and for them not to be you know playing up to the skill level that they have been recruiting it's kind of disappointing I know it's funny for Auburn fans and it's like oh look Bama's not playing good look at this they're they're not good anymore I think it's very disappointing if you're an Alabama fan and I know that they've been at calling for his head ever since the Ole Miss game last year with Alabama. I, But I honestly think that it's true. I think Pete Golding should be fired in some way, shape, or form. I can't think of any defense coordinators off the top of my head that they would go for, but I definitely think that Pete Golding is someone that he's definitely the weak link of this coaching staff, and the defense is definitely the weak link of the team itself. I mean, you've seen teams walk into – walk in to play Bama, and then they just kind of take over, like you saw with A&M, where they were able to pass the ball all over this Alabama defense. And it's something we have not seen a lot of uh, since Saban has been as dominant as he has. And it's kind of funny to see that Bama is just not playing up to Bama's level. They have set they have set the tone for college football teams in college football. Every coach want, goes into a new team, a new staff, thinking – 
all right, it's time to catch up to Bama. And now we have Bama, who has fallen behind and has let Georgia kind of just take over what would have been Bama's year. I mean, a lot of I know I was one of these people. A lot of people that I know of had Bama winning the national championship this year because we're like, oh, this is the most talented team in the nation right now. Bama just got the number one recruiting class, and they just got it. They I think they just uh, either they they have it and they've either going to keep it, but Bama does have the number one recruiting class for this year coming up as well. And I think that Saban definitely should look into getting a new defensive coordinator to really help this team, bring them back to where they were. But yeah, and that's all I got to say for Bama. I, mean, I, I just think that he's definitely the weak link. I think Bill O'Brien has been, playing, has been doing pretty well as offensive coordinator. I feel like that's his calling. He's always been a great offensive mind. But Pete Golding is just not that. He's probably a good like position coach, but that's probably as far as I'll go with that. And moving on to – some other Big Ten news. The Big Ten apologized for a strip sack that they took away at Michigan-Michigan State game two weeks ago. Uh, I basically think it's – so Michigan – it's basically a tuck rule kind of thing. Michigan went to go sack uh, Thorpe, the quarterback of Michigan State, and they got the knocked the ball out of his hands, and then he fell over, and they were like, oh, wait, wait, we're going to call this dead. And so they didn't give him the fumble. Michigan only lost by four. If they get that ball there, they probably win the game. And I I hate when conferences and other teams like do this, where they come out and just apologize for everything. That's gonna make it okay. I mean, it, it they lost the game, and to come out two weeks later is basically ins- is very insulting to the team that lost. And it's not it's nothing happens to the refs. The apologies solve nothing because. The refs are still gonna be refing the next. They're officiating the next game. I think you're either gonna need to find the ref, suspend the ref, or fire or something. You can't. Refs hold too much power in today's world, in today's football, NFL, or college. Refs have a, a all like most power to. They can lose teams' games. They can win teams' games. If they want because all it takes is one missed call, like this fumble. That just basically just took a t- what would have been a touchdown for Michigan or a field goal for Michigan off the board. I think if you're going to come out and apologize, at least that you're going to be looking into it and like find the ref or suspend him. It was like the Memphis uh, Mississippi State game earlier this year with the blatant uh, uh, missed penalty that cost uh, Memphis to get a punt return touchdown. It was ridiculous, and they just came out and said, "Oh yeah, we're sorry. Yeah, we missed that call." But Mississippi State, they they lost the game by like I think two, and if they get that touchdown, they if they don't get that touchdown, they win the game. I I think that these halfway apologies are some of the worst things in football. I think if you're going to apologize to a team, do it in a way to where it shows that you care by punish, hold someone accountable. They're not doing. They're just like, oh yeah, we're sorry, we missed this. My bad, and then they just move on. They're not holding anything anyone accountable for what has happened. I think if they, they need to start doing that or people are going to still be getting upset about it, it doesn't make them look any better. The NCAA is probably one of the worst organizations. And I know there's conference things, but the NCAA is known to do this as well where they just kind of apologize for something and then they just move on like it never happened. And I I ranted last week about the college football playoff. I'm not going to rant as long about it. I just have a list of things that I saw from this past CFP poll. But I have to say one thing. I am very annoyed 
that this poll has made me do something I never thought I would do, which is agree with R.J. Young of Fox Sports, who is one of my least favorite analysts in the college football world. He said in an article that the committee does not care about winning or losing or head-to-head matchups, which is very true. Because look at the, this year's this past CFP ranking, uh, Oregon is still above Ohio State, even though Ohio State beat Oregon in their head-to-head matchup. But Michigan State drops below Michigan. I hate it. I, it makes no sense to me. I don't know what their stigma is for how they or how they vote. Their rankings make no sense. I it, I I just don't get it, and I just don't understand why Bama's still at two. All these teams that struck got struggle wins just stayed put. The only team that really moved out was Michigan State because they lost, but they only dropped like four four spots. Yeah. Uh, Baylor only fall only fell one spot after losing to an unranked TCU, but Auburn falls four spots for losing to a now eleventh ranked Texas A&M. I don't get the committee. They make no sense whatsoever. And I I made a joke thing saying they screwed over Purdue by ranking them. Purdue I don't understand. Purdue only plays good when they're not ranked. I don't know why they think that they're a good enough team to put them at 19 just because they beat two top five teams. But then they lose to unranked teams, and then they lose to these bottom-ranked like bottom ranked teams. They're not going to be ranked. Don't rank them just because they got a fluke win. I mean, all their wins are flukes. They just catch that team slipping, they upset them, and then they go back to losing games. It's funny. I love Purdue for doing it. But I don't think they should be ranked. I don't think they, they deserve that. It's like Mississippi State. I mean, Mississippi State just fell out of the top 25 after they got put up at 17 for no reason, really. And then now since they lost to Arkansas, Arkansas is now ranked. Mississippi State falls eight spots out of the top 25. I just find two positives about the CFP, though. Since he moved up to number five, they moved up in the rankings. Now they just need someone else to lose. And they locked down that four spot. And they're probably going to keep it unless... You know, the committee does something stupid like, oh, let's put a Big 12 champion in there or something like that. And I have to rant a little bit about the uh, Heisman Trophy winner or Heisman Trophy. What is – I think they should just do what the NFL does and make an offensive and defensive MVP award. I mean, they have positional awards. But the Heisman Trophy has been so offensive and, like, quarterback-based and – I know Kenneth Walker is probably going to win it now, but I still have that suspicion that Bryce Young's going to like throw for 400 yards one game, and they're going to be like, oh, yeah, Bryce Young's back in it. And then Bryce Young's going to win the Heisman. Kenneth Walker is definitely the Heisman winner of the year for most people that have been watching football. And I know it's kind of the stigma that you have to be the best player on the best team to win the Heisman, which has been true for the past few years now. But I think that they should definitely look into making uh, the, make the Heisman Trophy the offensive MVP award and then make another trophy for the defensive MVP. That way you can get like a Jordan Davis or a Will Anderson these chances to win awards like that that they really deserve. I feel like Jordan Davis and Will Anderson have been more important to their team's success than like a Bryce Young right now. I mean, I feel like you put any quarterback right now in Alabama, they play just as well. And I think you have to look, none of these, I don't think there's a defensive player in the top five to six of the Heisman odds right now. I mean, none of these defensive players are going to be making it to New York City. They're not going to be getting an invitation for this because the Heisman Trophy is so against these 
players that either don't get the stats. I mean, it's basically a stats award. If you rush 2,000 yards, yeah, you win the Heisman. But if you get like 100 tackles, oh, yeah, we'll get you, uh, you'll get the linebacker of the year. Yeah, that's fine. You get like 150 tackles, break a record. Yeah, yeah, linebacker of the year. That's it. You don't get no respect for like Heisman or anything like that, really. And, and like even the, the NFL is kind of biased about what they do with the awards. I mean, uh, I think the offensive MVP doesn't really ever win the MVP, which is kind of weird because they usually they're up for it. Or I feel like the, there's never, there hasn't been a defensive MVP, and I don't know how long, even though I think Aaron Donald probably should have like two or three of those right now. Uh, but I mean, the NFL people claim that the defensive player of the year is biased towards D linemen, which isn't true to me. I think Aaron Donald last year was definitely one of the years where they were like Aaron Donald shouldn't have won. But if you look at the stats compared to what he was doing as a defensive tackle compared to an edge rusher, it is way harder to get sacks as a defensive tackle than it is if you're a linebacker. Because if you're a linebacker, you typically only have to go around the end, which means you're only in one on one with the tackle. If you are a defensive tackle, you are going straight through the middle of five guys instead of just beating out one around the end. Aaron Donald's going through five guys. I saw that man get a sack on Ryan Tannehill on Thursday Night Football with like while while getting held. I saw this man get held back, get a sack, and that is baffling to me. I've never seen. He is one of the best players I have ever watched play the game of football. And so and he's one of the, and he's also one of the few people that I'd be terrified to be in the presence of. The man he's not even that tall. He's like he's six foot even at defensive tackle, and he is terrorizing any offensive line in front of him. And I know I'm kind of getting off topic to NFL, which I'll be talking about after this break in about a minute and a half. But Aaron Donald kind of did, has earned the right to win all these defensive player awards, even if they think it's biased towards defensive linemen. I mean, he has definitely earned every award that he has won. And I think you can argue that he is also a top he's, – he's, he's getting up there in top five defensive players of all time for the NFL. If he's not already in there, he is in the conversation for it. And I think Aaron Donald he's, – he's already a Hall of Famer. I think if he was high right now, he'd be a Hall of Famer instantly. Yeah, I'm going to talk about more NFL when we come back from this break. We're going to talk about uh, the taunting rule. What I think is a Panthers fan and Odo Beckham Jr. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the back half of Tink Talks Football here on Home Eagle 91.1 FM. We're going to begin our NFL talk, and I'm going to start off with the taunting rule. This is the worst penalty ever made in the history of college football. And if you have not, if you don't not seen any taunting calls, it's very prominent now. You've seen it in college football, and now we're seeing it a lot in the NFL. Uh, this past week on Monday Night Football, the Ch- Chicago Bears played against the Pittsburgh Steelers in one of the most one-sided officiating games I have ever seen. There was a play, a linebacker got a tackle. I can't remember ex- I can't remember his name exactly. I think it's Cassius something. Uh, he walks over, kind of stands there, stares at the Pittsburgh Steelers, like their sideline, walks back. Weirdly enough, the referee kind of backed up and bumped into him on purpose. He, he hip-checked him. The ref then turned around, looked at him, and threw a flag, called taunting. It's just for nothing, really. It's like the scene from SpongeBob where he's, like, he's just standing there menacingly. It's it's a terrible call. I hate taunting. It's one of, it, is, it ruins the game of football. It, you're just wanting the player to make a big play, stand up, walk back to the sideline. Nothing just happened. Like He just does not make the play of the game or anything. I mean, it's 
And I forgot who it was. It was Iowa State, I think, against – oh, crap, I can't remember who they played. But they got a pick six. Gets called back because the guy did one high step. He did a high step. And there was like, oh, taunting. Called it back. It's the worst. Let the players celebrate. And if they're not overdoing it, don't call a penalty on them. I just don't think they know what taunting means. And they're just kind of throwing it for anything that remotely looks like they're celebrating at the other team's expense. Which is what celebrating is. When you're winning a game and you celebrate, you're doing it at the other team's expense. And if you're going to call taunting for it, you're just kind of ruining the fun of uh, playing well. And I, it, it's the, I have a lot of issues with the targeting call. But I feel like targeting at least makes some sense for why they're doing it and why they call it so much. This penalty makes absolutely no sense to me. I'll never understand how or why they came to acknowledge the fact that this should be a penalty. But it's an automatic first down. It's like an unnecessary roughness play. And it just permits the other team to just move 15 yards down the field. And the play that this happened on for the Chicago Bears, it was on fourth down. The punting team was coming out on the field. And he celebrates getting a sack or a tackle or whatever, and ref hips checks him, calls a penalty, gives Pittsburgh back the ball back. And Pittsburgh probably would have lost the game had some of these penalties gone in Chicago's favor. I mean, I remember seeing some pass interference calls, some holding calls for that would have been called on the Steelers, but they just were not called at all. And they were calling plays all over the place against the Bears. The Bears only lost by two. If some of these calls go their way, they might win the game. And they wanted to try for a 65-yard field goal, whatever they tried for, that was, I think, like 10 yards short of the, of the field goal post anyways. And, you know, I'm going to keep my rant going by moving on to my Carolina Panthers. As a Panthers fan, I am no longer sold on the idea of Sam Darnold as a franchise quarterback. I think the Panthers are smart. They will look into trying to invest in one of these quarterbacks coming up in the draft. I don't know how much we can trust a team that wants to like trade us a quarterback. I mean, I know Deshaun Watson gets his name thrown around there, but we don't know if he's ever going to play again. So it's not worth all the draft capital that they want for him. And I think Sam Howell is one of those quarterbacks where I look at him. He could definitely transition over to the NFL pretty well. Him, Malik Willis, and I think Carson Strong are some of the quarterbacks that are going to be there whenever the Carolina Panthers pick. I think you have to look at this as you need to invest in one of these young quarterbacks that you know are good and that you know have the tangibles to do so. I know Sam Darnold does, but without Chris McCaffrey being 100% healthy, and it, Sam Darnold just was not playing up to what he was playing. And he's now out for the year right now. He had the fractured something. He's fractured something in his arm or hand, which now P.J. Walker will now be the starter, or Matt Barkley will be the starter, one of the two, for the Carolina Panthers, which pretty much means our season might be might just be over. We want to just tank for one of these better quarterbacks. Maybe we can get a Matt Corral. Just tank and get Matt Corral. But the Panthers are definitely in a tough spot right now. I feel like we should definitely maybe rest McCaffrey for a little bit because I feel like without a quarterback that we trust in at QB1 that we're going to try to force the ball to McCaffrey, which might just end him getting injured again. But I think these three quarterbacks are definitely someone the Panthers should be looking towards as we get closer to the draft. I mean, the draft talks always begin. As soon as one draft ends, the mock drafts come out for the next one. And in big news recently, OBJ was released by the Browns. He is now on waivers. Uh, he is waiting for them to be finished. We can sign wherever he wants. I've heard five teams in the mix. I've heard the Seahawks. I've heard the Patriots. I've heard the Chiefs and the Saints and the Packers. I've heard recently that the Packers are the favorite team that he wants to go to. I mean, you got OB, you got you got you have OBJ, Devontae. 
and of course Aaron Rodgers, which would probably make that offense very good considering the fact that Aaron Rodgers would have to distribute the ball to each and every one of his targets. Uh, I don't know how well he would do at Kansas City. I feel like it's a good choice for him to go there. I also don't want him at the Saints. And I feel like the Patriots and the Seahawks, I feel like the Seahawks are probably a weird place for him to go because he would not be a, I don't think he'd be a wide, he'd be like a wide receiver three. I think Tyler Lockett has definitely shown that he is the guy for the for the Seahawks. Especially with the uh, Patriots. I don't, I can't see him with the Patriots. He's definitely not a, he's not your typical Bill Belichick wide receiver. He's not your quiet receiver that just kind of just goes along with whatever he's told to do. OBJ is definitely a personality in the league. He wants to go somewhere where he can show off his personality. I feel like Green Bay probably is the best place for him to do that. Because, I mean, he already has players like Aaron Rodgers who, going into his situation, has tried to use the fact that he was he had COVID and tried to use it as a fact. Oh, yeah, I was I was immunized by it. So he thought he was fine from getting the vaccine, which has cost him now two weeks. Uh, they're now – they lost to the Chiefs under Jordan – behind Jordan Love. I think that – Aaron Rodgers is definitely should be at fault here. He's definitely deserved the fine that he was given for what he said and did. And you know, now he has COVID. He gets himself another week. But going back to OBJ, I thought OBJ definitely should look into signing with Green Bay. I feel like that he, he brings another element to that offense that is already a pretty dang good offense. Bring Aaron Jones in at running back still, OBJ at like wide receiver two, right next to Devontae. I mean, you can't really cover that, especially if like Randall Cobb is playing as well as he used to. You have a great slot guy. You have two great X and Y receivers. And I think that this offense brings it to another level. As long as this, if this defense was a step up whenever it needs to, the Packers would be the best team in the NFL right now. But I don't think they are right as of now, especially without Aaron Rodgers. I feel like the Cardinals are definitely taking over that spot, even though the Cardinals lost to the Packers. But I, I'm just not fully I, – I don't know how well OBJ will transition over to Green Bay. I feel like he, he's a great fit. But we've not seen a lot of progression out of him since that first year he was with the uh, New York Giants. And with that, I'm going to spend the next five, the next last four minutes of this segment predicting my, I think, eight games from NFL Week 10 that I think are either the most interesting or the most fun to watch. Uh, Thursday Night Football, we have the Ravens traveling to Miami to play the Dolphins. Baltimore is a seven and a half point favorite, and I feel like we all know who I'm going to go with here, and it's going to be the Ravens. I feel like the Ravens are the easy choice. Uh, they have Lamar Jackson. They have the offense. Miami's not doing too hot right now. I think that Ravens are the clear easy winner here, unless, you know, I'm kind of rat poisoned to teams because I have not had the best prediction record on this show. But please, Baltimore win. Up next, we have the Sunday the Sunday lineup. The Saints travel to Nashville to play the Tennessee Titans. Titans are a three-point favorite. After what I saw against the L.A. Rams, I have to go with the Titans here. I think they've definitely showed people that they are not just Derrick Henry. Their defense stepped up when they needed to against the Rams. Kevin Byard had a pick against Matthew Stafford. Uh, I think the Titans are definitely one of the better teams in the AFC, if not t- like top two, top three. I think they've definitely showed that they are as good as they are advertised, even without Derrick Henry. So I got to go with him. The, the, I have to go with the Titans here against the Saints because I'm not fully sold on the Saints just yet and what they can do. Uh, then we have the Browns traveling to Boston to play the New England Patriots. Patriots are a one half point favorite. And without the Browns have been playing again without because I think they just like whooped the Bengals. New England's about a one, one half point favorite. But I, I'm going to go with the Browns here. I don't. I have not fully sold on the Patriots just yet, especially after the dirty play that Mac. Uh, Mac Jones did against Brian Burns. But yeah, I got to go with the Browns here. I think they're the better team. They're the better defense. And I feel like their skill position players have been playing pretty lights out, especially with Donovan Peoples-Jones kind of stepping up from the missing OBJ role. 
I mean, I have my Panthers traveling to Arizona to play the Cardinals. Cards are 10 one favorite. I've been covering because I have no faith in my Panthers anymore. Absolutely none. Lost all hope for the season. Uh, Minnesota Vikings travel to L.A. to play the Chargers. Chargers are 2 and a half point favorite. And you know what? Give me the Chargers. I have not. I think the Vikings have been. They've been in the headlines recently right now, but I feel like they always find ways to lose games. They always lose games this big. I got to go with the Chargers. I feel like the better team, better offense, slightly par with the Vikings defense. And then we have the Seahawks as they travel to Green Bay to play the Patriots. Not Patriots. Packers. Uh, I, I want to pick. Green Bay is a favorite by three, but I want to pick the Seahawks. I feel like Russell Wilson is going to be back. I think there's, the Packers are still going to be without Aaron Rodgers. So I got to go with the Seahawks here. Sunday Night Football, we have the Chiefs at Raiders. Chiefs are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And you know what? Give me the Chiefs. I feel like the Ra- Raiders are kind of at a disadvantage here. They kind of have all their they have their players in the news all the time. I think the Chiefs can take advantage of that and pull out with a close win over the Raiders. Monday Night Football. Rams at 49ers. Rams are a four-point four favorite. I feel like this is an easy pick for me. I feel like I'm going to pick the Rams. I feel like Matthew Stafford has been playing pretty dang good. I feel like he's definitely earned any MVP votes that he does get this year. Rams defense is always good. 49ers defense is all right at times. And it, has, it is good, but it has been like eh, at times. The offense, of course, for the Niners is not its best. I got to go the Rams. I feel like they're one of the top five best teams in the league right now. But, yeah, those are my predictions for NFL Week 10. I'm going to take a short break when we come back and wrap up the show with Week 11 college football predictions. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the last, like, eight minutes of Tank Talks Football here on Week 91.1 FM. We're going to wrap up the show here with my predictions for Week 11 of the college football season. It's I'm so sad that we have weird this close to college football ending. I mean, we still have bowl season coming up and the playoffs. But the regular season's almost over. We got, what, three more games? For Auburn, at least. Uh, yeah. It's going to suck whenever college football We have to wait another year for it at some point. Uh, let's start off with my Wednesday game, uh, North Carolina. I have this game on here because I, can't, I can't skip this game. I usually only pick 10, but for my graphic's sake, I have to like make sure that I have a separate graphic for this game made. Uh, but UNC travels to Pitt to play the number 21 Panthers. Pitt is a 6.5 point favorite. And I feel like Wake would have won that game because they've been playing well this season if they were had just a slightly better talent level. And I think that's the only thing that held them back in that game. I'm going to go with Pitt here. I think they, they're favored by by 6.5, and, and I think it, they maybe cover. I feel like they're just Wake Forest, but they have the talent that Wake Forest kind of wants and kind of needs right now. Uh, going on Saturday slate, uh, number 6 Michigan travels to Penn State for the wideout game. Michigan is a one-point favorite. Part of me wants to pick the Wolverines. Part of me wants to pick the Nittany Lions. I'm going to pick the Penn State here. I think the whiteout game always gives those teams that uh, – always gives Penn State that winning like mentality because it's one of the most hostile environments in every any, any college football world. So give me the Nittany Lions. Up next, we have number eight, Baylor. They traveled to the number 13, Baylor Bears in Waco. OU is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. You know what? Give me Baylor. I think Baylor can finally catch Oklahoma slipping. And the committee obviously doesn't do that does not think that highly of Oklahoma. So why should we? Give me the Baylor Bears. Uh, SCL CBS game. We got Georgia traveling to Neyland to play the Tennessee Volunteers. Georgia's a 20-point favorite. Give me the Bulldogs. I feel like Tennessee could maybe make this a game for like a quarter or two. But after that, I feel like Georgia's going to run away with it. Uh, then we have number 19, Purdue. They travel to f- number four, P- Ohio State. OSU is a 20-point favorite. 
I'm going to take Ohio State. I'd pick Purdue if they were not ranked, but since they're ranked, I, I got to pick them. Uh, and we have Minnesota at number 20, Iowa, the two teams that I am not very highly fond of right now. Iowa's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to take the Hawkeyes. I feel like they're the better team. Minnesota definitely did not deserve to be ranked, and it showed when they got not blown out, but 14-6 to six over uh, for uh, Illinois. Uh, then we have a number 11, A&M, travels to Oxford to play the number 15, Ole Miss Rebels. A&M's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to pick A&M. I've not been that impressed with Ole Miss's defense as of late, and A&M's defense has been shown to be Probably second in the SEC in coordinates for Georgia, but yeah, I'm gonna pick. I'm pick the Aggies here. I think they're the better team. They have, their offense isn't as good, but their defense is better. Then we have number 16 NC State as they travel to Wake. Number 12 team in the nation. Wake is a two point favorite, and give me the Demon Deacons. I think that the one, like I said before, the one thing they got uh, Wake to lose over NC State is the fact that UNC had better talent. I feel like NC State's slightly less talent than UNC, so I feel like Wake can pull this one out. Uh, number 25, Arkansas travels to Death Valley to play LSU. Arkansas is a 2.5-point favorite. Give me the Razorbacks. I am not impressed with LSU. I think they kind of just kind of like showing up in certain games, but give me the Razorbacks here. Then we have TCU at number 10, Oklahoma State. OK State is a 13-point favorite. I'm going to pick Oklahoma State here, but I would not be shocked TCU comes out and wins that game. I think that Oklahoma State and the Big 12 are kind of at a weak point right now. I feel like they're all kind of vulnerable, all the top three teams that could be getting a spot in the CFP if they were to win out, win their conference. And finally, I'm talking about the Auburn-Mississippi State game. Uh, Auburn, I've, I have two things Auburn needs to do to win this game. One, they need to establish a run game. They need to get the offense going. We have not scored a touchdown in six consecutive quarters. I feel like if they want to win this game, they're going to have to get this offense in motion. Secondly... Auburn needs to force Will Rogers to make mistakes. He is he's thrown eight interceptions and twenty three touchdowns, but when you let him get hot, he stays hot. He has thrown four hundred yards multiple times this year. The secondary is going to be tired all game. It's going to be up to the D line and the front seven to just terrorize Will Rogers. With that, with the own rain, Mississippi State Bulldogs traveling to number seventeen Auburn to play this Saturday. Auburn is a five and a half point favorite. Give me the Auburn Tigers to win. We need this bounce back win. Ever gonna be Bama? We gotta win out. We gotta blow out Mississippi State. We need to blow out South Carolina. We need to get get prepared for Alabama. We need to make sure that we are on our A game when the Iron Bowl comes up in a few weeks. But yeah, that's all I have for me. Uh, I will see all of you guys next week here on Week Ninety One Point One. See y'all. Thanks for listening. If you missed any part of the show, make sure to catch the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll be back next Wednesday at noon on Weagle 91.1 FM. You can follow the station's Twitter and Instagram at Weagle underscore AU for events, announcements, and more. If you can't make it to a radio, you can listen to our live stream at WeagleFM.com. As for me, come back next Wednesday at noon for more Tank Talks football.